If you have a Bible, I think this will be the last time. We'll turn to Ephesians 6. Probably could quote it without turning there. But our message today on spiritual warfare is going to be entitled, Watching for All Saints. So we'll begin reading in verse 10, and Paul writes there, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, last week, we looked at basically the first half of Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And we talked that praying always means that we're praying constantly. And it literally says that we would pray at all times. So we're people of prayer. And the reason we said for that is, one of the main reasons is, is we never know when we will come under attack, when the next attack is going to come. And if we're not careful the devil will blindside us with the trial. And that's why we talked about that we pray. One of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we don't want to be led into needless danger and needless temptation. So we're praying for God to deliver us from the evil one, to rescue us. That's what the word deliver means, to rescue us from danger, because the devil is constantly setting snares and ambushes and pits that are covered for us to fall in. So, you know, you're a housewife with three kids under the age of six, and you wake up, and you get out of bed that morning, and here one of them has gone down the, the basement steps in a stroller, another one's just thrown up on your new couch, and the next one's decided to see if your new iPhone floats in water and has put it in the toilet. And you realize, I forgot to pray. Or you're a contractor, you know, and you come on the job site and you find out that where there was supposed to be carpet, now you have hardwood flooring, 1,200 square feet of it. And you think, I forgot to pray. So all I'm saying is we need to pray at all times and particularly at the beginning of the day. We not get led into the snares of the devil. And constantly we need to pray in the spirit we talked about. Because we don't know how we should pray. And we need the Holy Spirit to prompt us who to pray for, what to pray for at times. He'll do that to give us the right words, to empower our prayers, and to enable us. I think most of all praying in the Spirit is talking about he will enable us to speak in those supernatural languages named tongues. And we went through all that last week. We're not going to cover all that again. But that's what he does. And so what is prayer? What is prayer? I mean, it's a lot of things, but, you know, it's basically we're acknowledging God for all he is. We start off the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I mean, that's how prayer should start. And that's the way most of the prayers of the Bible that you read, especially with the Old Testament saints, they magnify God for his sovereignty, for his goodness, for his justice, for his attributes before they get into any petitions. And so we should be thanking God, praising God, honoring him, and worshiping him as should be part of prayers. And a lot of times we want to just jump right into what we need and the troubles we have. But if you read the biblical prayers, that's mainly, that's how they'll start their prayers off, is that way. So it's not only that, though, it also, prayer does what? It shows our utter dependence and total dependence on him. And we're created to be dependent. He did that on purpose, and we glorify him by showing that dependence and looking to him as our heavenly father to supply our needs. And so the Lord's Prayer goes on, give us this day our daily bread. 
Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us our sins. We have those needs on a daily basis to come to the Lord, to pray for, amongst other things, right? So it's seeking God for all we need. And in spiritual warfare, which is what we've been discussing, our greatest need is what? To seek God for his supernatural strength because we have no strength of our own. And I saw this quote by a great prayer warrior, and I thought this was good. It's simple. But he said, prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. Prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. And that's what we do when we come to the Lord. I need you to help me in so many ways all the time. And our trials and life's daily battles will overwhelm us without God's strength. And that's why this whole section, once again, starts off, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome Satan's schemes and his power. We need the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives us, and only he can give us Pray for that wisdom, James 1, when we are facing with situations, whether it's a conversation, we don't know what to say, a situation, we need his wisdom to help us battle the wisdom of the devil. And we also need his power. God says he will give us his strength and power if we seek him in prayer. Listen to these psalms. You don't have to turn to them, but listen to what they say. Psalm 138.3 says, On the day I called, the day I prayed, on the day I called, you answered me, and you made me bold with strength in my soul. That was a prayer. The day I called, there must have been a great need there. The day I called, you answered me, and you made me bold with strength in my soul. And Psalm 105 says this. We sing this song. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. It says, seek the Lord and his strength. So some people say, well, I'm only going to seek the giver. I'm not going to seek his gifts. But that's not biblical. We need his gifts. Sure, we're seeking the giver first and foremost, but we need his gifts. And he says, seek the Lord, but he doesn't stop there. He says, seek the Lord and his strength. We need his strength. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord, let them rejoice or be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Because we continually need his strength. We need to be renewed. Psalm 68, 35 says this, O God, you are awesome from your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. Psalm 68, O God, awesome in your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. And if you would, put something there in Ephesians. Turn back to Isaiah 40. I do think I want us to read this one. So we're saying we need this strength that comes from the Lord. It comes through seeking him. And this is a familiar verse, but I'd like us to read it. Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 28. So he writes this. He says, have you not known, haven't you heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he faints not. Neither is weary, and there's no searching of his understanding. And so look at verse 29. We're saying we need his power and strength. He says what? He gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases what? Their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fail. But they that wait upon the Lord, what they'll do, they'll renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. And I know there's people here that are going through trials right now. It is wearing them out. It's taking your joy and say, here's the answer. God will renew your strength. He'll give you your joy back. You don't have to be worried. But it's a matter of waiting on the Lord. Getting before him in prayer. And he will help you. He will. He'll help all of us. All of us need that to one degree or another. So back to Ephesians 6.18, so the first part of this verse is telling us that we need to be praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplications, and those supplications are urgent requests. Somebody's got a need that there is an urgent request, that need needs to be met. And in doing that, we need to be praying in the Spirit for God to give us strength. The strength that we need 
to utilize that armor he's given us to fight the enemy. And so a lot of times we're in a battle and we're being overwhelmed and we're in a trial of all kinds, right? There's various trials in the Bible, various things you can be going through the way the devil's attacking you one day. And you're just calling out, God, help me. Because these fiery arrows are thick and my arm is getting tired swinging the sword and my feet have begun to slip. And so that's when we need to know we can go boldly to the throne of grace. We need to remember Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore, because we have this great high priest, he says, as we heard earlier, it says he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's been where we've been in this life. He's had friends reject him. Judas betraying him with a kiss. All of his close disciples, they all forsake him. and flee. He's dealt with all, everything we've dealt with. Pain, you're dealing with pain. He's dealt with pain. The Lord's experienced it all. And it says, so therefore, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's when we need the Lord's strength. And he says, don't run away. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit. That's when it's time to come boldly to the throne of grace and let him know, I need help. I need your strength, Lord. I need help in this battle. It's overwhelming me. And he says he will. He'll give you mercy and grace in time of need. But we're looking at the second half of this verse. If we're going to be committed to that kind of praying, Paul goes on to say that we need to be watching. And that's what he says here in the second half. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Watching and praying. Now, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him into the garden before the crucifixion, and he went away, and it says he prayed in agony. And when he comes back, what happens? He finds them sleeping. We all know that story. And this is what he said, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? And he tells him, keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. He told him the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's what happened the second time. He comes back again, and there they are, once again asleep. It says their eyes were very heavy. And why weren't they watching? They weren't aware of what was coming. They weren't awake. They weren't aware of what was coming. And because they didn't watch and pray, when temptation came Peter's way, two little girls got him to curse and deny the Lord. And he fell really hard with bitter tears. That temptation, without that prayer, that's something we can learn there. It blindsided him, didn't it? Bitter tears. He couldn't fight it in his flesh because Jesus had already told him, if you don't pray, the flesh is weak. You're not going to be able to overcome what's coming your way. And he needed to be praying how? Like we're being told here by Paul, he needed to be praying in the Spirit. And boy, did he do that afterwards? He did. The day of Pentecost come, he's a different man. Praying for the Spirit. Ten days they were on the day of Pentecost. And when those people were filled, no more denying the Lord. Because then he could say, I'm not given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And he demonstrated that. But the word for watching here, it doesn't just mean just to stay awake. I mean, literally, the definition is the watchfulness of those that are intent upon a thing, intent upon something. So, you know, it's one thing to get your kids awake for school. They may be awake, but if they're anything like my kids, they just got that look about them. You know? It's like they're awake, but they're really not there. They're not intent on anything rather than thinking, I wish I could go back to bed, right? But it's another thing when you wake them up on a day when they're going to their favorite place with all their friends. I mean, then with my little guy, it's not like I'm awake, I'm awake with purpose. Right? With an intention. And, and that's what this word is talking about here. Having a purpose and intention. It's the same word that's used in Luke 21, 36. You'll know this verse. Watch, Jesus said, ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, what's the context of that verse? Well, Luke 21 talks about the great, end time calamities that will be falling on this earth and they haven't happened yet and they're soon on their way 
signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And it says, upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. So much chaos, it says that men's heart will fail them for fear. And Jesus is saying, because of all that, he's saying we should be watching and praying that our hearts are not caught up in the cares of this life. And he says, and that that day, that day he's talked about, the day of the Lord, that that day takes you unawares. Unawares means unexpectedly. It's like a person that's walking along a trail in the woods and all of a sudden, ah, their foot is caught in a trap they didn't see because it was hidden that some hunter had set. Unexpectedly, unawares. They weren't watching. They weren't really intent. They weren't paying attention to where they were going. And that's what that's talking about there. Because Jesus said these judgments that are coming, listen, he says they are going to be as a snare that will come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. The whole earth is going to get snared when these judgments come down because it's going to seem like life is just going on as normal, like in the days of Noah, it says. And all of a sudden, the snare happens. And they're not praying, they're not watching, they're not paying attention to their lives, to how they're living. They're not intent on that. And that's what we're saying, intent upon one thing, alertly concerned about one thing, that we're not the ones caught in the cares of this life, that we're not snared by the coming judgments. Because what are we supposed to be doing? He says, if you go back and read Luke 21, we're to lift up our heads when we see these things happen. Because our redemption draws nigh. We should be living holy lives, righteous lives, and looking for our Lord to come. We're looking and expecting him and wanting to see him. That's that watchfulness, that intent with a purpose. And that's what he's talking about here in this verse. But Paul here in Ephesians 6, 18, he's telling us that we shouldn't just be watching. We should be watching, but not just for ourselves. Mainly what his emphasis is, is watching for others. We're to be intent or alertly concerned about not our problems, but about others' problems and their personal trials. Because our brothers and sisters in here, they need help a lot of times, and they're in a battle. In other words, we're looking at this saying, I'm alert and praying, not just out of a duty, but because there's someone who has a need, and I'm intent on seeing that need met. That's to be our attitude in prayer. Do we take time to do that, all of us? I mean, all of us could use improvement there. Amen. And that's why Paul adds the word, he says, watching thereunto, and he adds the word perseverance. And that word perseverance literally means to be strong towards. It's the idea of you're doing something with intense effort. I'm going after this with firm persistence. That's what that word perseverance means, firm persistence. You're not getting me, devil. You're not getting me off this track. I am going to be on this like a bloodhound. That's the picture you get with that. So we're to be watching for our saints, for our brothers and sisters, with the intention that we're going to help them in prayer, with perseverance. We're like a bloodhound on that track with their issue, is what he's saying. I was reading during the Civil War, down at one of the, it was a bad prison down south in Andersonville. But what they did there... They guarded that prison. They had five to 18 bloodhounds at a time that would go around that prison every morning. And if those bloodhounds smelled that anybody had left, they took off after them. And these bloodhounds, they didn't just stop and bark when they found the people. It, it was vicious what would happen. And a lot of times these prisoners that escaped, they didn't feed anybody down there well. Tons of them died of sickness and starvation. So they couldn't put up much resistance. Most of them didn't get very far. But the thing is, those bloodhounds were relentless. Cross a river or two, buddy, they're still going to find your trail. They are relentless, intent on getting them. And that's what Paul's saying here. That's what that word perseverance means. We're busy praying about people's needs, and we're like those bloodhounds. We're intent. Alert and concerned about the needs of others in the church, the saints. Firm persistence in our prayers on their behalf. So we're not going to give up praying in the spirit for them until relief comes or they get the answer they need. That's what he's telling us here. And, you know, it doesn't always come as quickly 
for the people in the trial and sometimes for people praying. People get tired of praying about certain situations. But listen, the situation hasn't changed. My brother and sister still in a trial. Every day they're facing. They still need our prayers. And you just don't know when that one day is going to come if we all keep pressing in that it's all over. Amen. This man said this. I thought this was good. He says, I look at a stone cutter hammering away at a rock a hundred times without so much as a crack showing in it. Yet, at the hundred and first blow, it splits in two. And he said, I know it was not that one blow that did it, but all that had gone before. That's the way it works. And so we have a beautiful illustration of this if you would turn over to Acts 12. And we'll read the first six verses. And it says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. And then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending that after the Passover to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And we'll stop there for a second, but, you know, whether you understand it or not, Peter escaping from that prison was impossible in the natural, literally impossible. He had four squads. Herod had placed four squads of four soldiers to guard Peter literally day and night. They would be in four-hour shifts. The soldiers were literally chained to Peter, is what we're reading here. So if he moved, they would know it. And if they decide they're going to storm that cell, they don't know what's going to happen and get him out of there. They got two guys on that front door that you're not going to want to mess with. This was the Fortress Antonius which was in Jerusalem. It was the garrison for the Roman soldiers. You didn't mess with that place. Escape was impossible. But we've got verse 5. And we all have a lot of impossible situations we're looking at in here. But verse 5 says Peter was kept in prison, but, verse 5, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. The church was praying. So it doesn't say there that it was just a few saints. It doesn't say there that it was the apostles. Who was praying? The entire church was praying on behalf of Peter. And it doesn't just say they were praying. It could have said that, but what does it add? They were praying without ceasing. Other translations add fervently, earnestly, what that word literally means is fully stretched out, intense, fully stretched out. Maximum effort is what it's saying. Fervent, intense, constant. That's all of what that word continually, without ceasing, means. It's the same word that was used to describe, we're back to the Garden of Gethsemane, our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke twenty-two forty-four, And it says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And so our Lord Jesus in the garden was in such great anguish that it said he had to pray more earnestly. That's our word. You know, it was so intense, this prayer, and what was going on in this battle that it says his blood became mingled with his sweat. And in the Greek, it just says it was clotting, falling down to the ground in clots. Praying more earnestly. That's what we have. And that's what we have with the church here. That's the same word that's used in Acts 12, 5, how they were praying for Peter's release. So there's this idea of intensity, fervency, constant, unceasing prayer. They were like bloodhounds, is what we're saying. Praying for Peter's release. So they weren't giving up. It wasn't like, well, we're just going to pray for a while. Well, it's time for dinner. I think we'll all go home. This was during the nighttime when they were praying when he got released and went to that house. They are praying day and night for his release. 
In Luke 18, Jesus says that his elect will cry out to him day and night at times. And this is one of those times. And it says God will avenge them speedily. And he did. <laughs> Came that night. And so remember last week, we talked about Daniel. Daniel chapter 10 and his intercession. And what did that intercession cause? He fasted and prayed, got before the Lord. And what was the result of that? God sent an angel to him, didn't he? An angel came with the answer. And that's what happens here with the church in the book of Acts. Their prayer calls God to send an angel, their intercession. So look here, beginning in verse 7 of Acts 12. And behold, they're praying. The angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garments about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and knew not that it was true which was done by the angel. But he's thinking he's seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them of its own accord. Wow. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. You know what's interesting about that? Derek Prince pointed out something I thought was very interesting. So we talked last week some about you can have a promise, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's no intercession involved. You know, Peter had a promise that he would not die as a young man. And he's a young man at this time. Do you know he had a promise? Jesus told him that. John 21, he says, I tell you the truth, speaking to Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. So listen, what did Jesus promise him? He said, you're not going to die as a young man. He'd already given him a word, a promise. You're going to die as an old man. I mean, I don't know that that would be anything to look forward to in your retirement, that you get crucified upside down like Peter was. But why didn't the church say, hey, Peter, you know, you got that promise back in John 21. We're going to go home and see what's on Netflix tonight. Why didn't they do that? Why are they praying? We, we said that word is intensities involved. Why are they praying with such intensity that like everything depends on their prayer? Because it did. Sure, they had a promise. But sometimes God has ordained that those promises are going to be manifested through the prayers of his saints. It doesn't nullify the promise. That's the way he's ordained it. We're to pray for one another. Sure, someone's claimed that promise. And sure, God is faithful. But sometimes we need to be pressing on with them, just like they did here for Peter. He had that promise, yet it still took the intercession of that church on Peter's behalf for that angel to be sent for him to be delivered from prison. And you know what? That wasn't the only answer to their intercession. That wasn't the only angel that was sent. Did you know that? that wasn't. We tend to stop there when we talk about this whole thing. Look over in verse 20, because after this happened and Peter was released, in verse 20 it says, And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain, their friend desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately, uh-oh, another angel. The angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. And verse 24, and the word of God was multiplied. So God sent another angel as a result of their intercession <laughs> to deliver them from the persecution of Herod. And the word of God multiplied. Two angels sent because of united, fervent prayers of the church. So one delivered Peter from a totally impossible situation. 
So do we think when we have people here in the natural and impossible situations that our prayers don't matter when we unite in prayer, that God's not going to somehow answer, that that's just a story there for us to read about? It's there for a reason. That all happened for a reason. And the other delivered the church from great persecution. Herod was intent on destroying the word and the gospel going forth, and the devil hates the gospel. So fervent prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Remember we talked about that has great influence, great power, great effect. And that's a man. Elijah was the example. What about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous church? I'll talk about that in a minute. But listen, this idea of corporate prayer, the church gathering together for prayer to beseech God, is throughout the book of Acts. In Acts 1.14, we read, we all know this, the 120 disciples were gathered together to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it says, these all continued, the 120, with one accord in prayer and supplication. They're beseeching God. They had a promise too. Jesus has said, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, right? But they are praying like it all depends on their prayers because it does. The women and Mary, the mother of Jesus with his brethren, all praying together. These all continued. And if that word continued is our word perseverance. It's the same word. It's just translated differently. Continued with intense effort. That's how they were thirsty. They wanted the Holy Spirit. They're gathered together and they're just not mumbling prayers. They're not just talking about sports, the weather, the latest gladiator fights. No, they are seeking God with an intensity. They're thirsty. They want this promised spirit. It meant a lot to the Jewish people back then. And that's the church. And they didn't know that it would be 10 days. It could have been 10 months. They didn't know that. So what if they'd have quit after eight? What if they'd have quit after five? This is getting old. This is wearing me out, this intense praying. Because I think they were fasting too, but they were thirsty. They were bloodhounds. They were after what God had said. They weren't going to rest until they got it. And that's the way we need to be. That's what we're talking about. Paul's saying in perseverance, when we pray for each other, that's the way we should be. Do we have that intensity? Only he can give it to us. We can't manufacture it. I've been around groups and meetings where they're trying to manufacture all this stuff. God has to give it to us. But we have to step out sometimes, too. So we're talking about group prayer in Acts 4, when Peter and John were beaten by the Sadducees and released. Here's how the church reacted when they came to him. It says, and being let go, Peter and John, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they, the people, heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, and they prayed. And they said, Lord, you are God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And the prayer went on in Acts chapter 4. They gathered to pray. These brothers got beaten. We're gathering here to pray. That's what they did in the early church. And it goes on to say that when they had finished praying, this is all the church gathered together. Praying in one accord. And it says this at the end of chapter 4, towards the end, verse 31, I believe, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And here's the blessing that came as they gathered together to pray. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, all of them. And they spake the word of God with boldness. That's two times. How is the church filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts? When were they all filled with the Holy Spirit? When they were assembled together of one accord, and praying together time after time we just talked about three times so is there power in corporate prayer Leviticus 26 says this and you shall chase your enemies and they shall fall before you by the sword five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword This story goes, there was five young college students and they were spending the Sunday in London. They went over there and they went to hear the famed Charles Haddon Spurgeon preach. They wanted to hear him preach. And so they got there early and they're waiting for the doors to open. 
and they're greeted by a man. He says, hey, gentlemen, would you like me to show you around? He said, would you like to see the heating plant in this church? And they're like, well, we're not that interested, but they said amongst themselves, because it was July, it was hot. He's asking them if they want to see the heating plant. Well, they didn't want to offend him, so they're like, okay, take us there. So he takes them down this stairway at the church, and he slowly opens this door, and the students see 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. So that man that gave him the tour, he opens that. They all look in and see that, and he quietly shuts the door. And he introduces himself. He says, I'm Charles Spurgeon. Because he knew where the power for his ministry came from. Called it the heating room. That's where the anointing came. 700 people gathered in that basement to pray for that service. So let's go back to Ephesians 6.18. So Paul says here that as a church, we're to watch, be intensely concerned, and persevere Continue to beseech God in prayer with intense effort for all the saints. That means anybody that's in this room, any of our brothers and sisters that have a need. We should have the same concern one for another. Doesn't it say that in 1 Corinthians 12? So whether we pray corporately or in our closets, we need to be praying for one another. Isn't that what it says here? Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We need to be praying one another and there's no shortage of needs serious needs various needs in our church if someone needs prayer in here I would not be embarrassed to ask for it you know why because we're gonna read on here Paul wasn't he wasn't the least bit embarrassed to ask for prayer look at verses 19 to 20 he's saying pray for supplication for all saints and he has and for me you're like man Paul aren't you selfish no he wasn't and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So here Paul, the greatest of the apostles, I would say, the writer of most of the New Testament, called to be a preacher, not by some inward witness, but he sees the Lord Jesus Christ face to face on that road to Damascus and received his calling. He's taken up to the third heavens to receive revelations. He said, I can't even tell you what I saw. It was so great. This man is saying, pray for me. I need your prayers. You think, why does he need prayer? That guy's got it all. They have to have the anointing of God. What more could he need? He just needs to step in a pulpit and boom, it's there. Oh, no. Paul knew better than that. Asked the church to pray for him, that God would give him the proper words. And the guy wrote the New Testament. And yet he's still saying, when i got to stand before Caesar, and when I'm with these soldiers, I'm asking you to pray for me that God would give me the proper words to speak. So don't feel bad if you're like, man, I'm not for sure what to share with somebody. He'll give you the proper words to speak. Ask him. Paul did. We'll pray for you. Or ask someone else to pray. So he knows his weaknesses and fears, I think Paul did. And he, he also prays. For boldness, twice he asked that he may have the boldness to speak. The Apostle Paul asked for the boldness to speak. So you should be right close to there. Look in Philippians 1. He counted on the prayers of this church. Look in Philippians 1, verses 18 to 20. Starting in verse 17, he said, But the other of love, knowing that, he says, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation. Really, the word should be deliverance. This shall turn to my deliverance. How? He says, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or whether it be by death. And Paul's saying, I need your prayers. And I know that through your prayers, God will give me the boldness in what to say and grant me deliverance. And I won't be ashamed, but he's still, he's asking this church. He's greedy. What's wrong with this guy? He's asking everybody to pray for him, going everywhere, asking for prayer. 
That's not faith. Well, I think it is. Paul knew what faith was. And turn the next book over to Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. He tells them, and here's that word again, for perseverance. Continue in prayer. That's the word for perseverance. Persevere in prayer, he tells them, and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Withal, here he is asking again, praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. He asked every church he had any connection with to pray for him. And that guy's weak, isn't he? Well, he would say, I'm the weakest person there is. I need all kinds of prayer. He wasn't embarrassed, and he wasn't too proud to ask for prayer because he knew that in his flesh, Paul knew he's nothing. He totally understood that. I don't know that we always understand that. His only source of power and strength was the Spirit of God and the anointing on him. He knew, too, that that anointing was the only thing, we sing the song, the only thing that was going to break the yoke of sin and bondage that the devil had over these people that he's talking to. He says, I need that. I need you to pray for me as I go into these cities, as I go before Caesar, wherever I go. I'm preaching the gospel, and I don't have it in myself to make it effective. I need the anointing of God, the Spirit of God to give me not only the words, but the power to have an influence on these people. He realizes it's heaven and hell for the people he's talking to. It's that serious. And so he's asking for their prayers. He says, pray for me, but he's not asking for his own personal cruise ship, a new house, new clothes. He's not even asking for a new pair of sandals, and I'm sure he could have used them. All the walking he did. But he's asking for what? What's he asking for? Prayer to spread the gospel boldly in the power of the Spirit. And he is concerned about souls. And we should be too. I don't know how concerned we are for souls and praying for them and praying for groups to go out because we have a lot of groups now going out spreading the gospel here locally and abroad. And I'm saying as a church, we need to keep all these ministries in prayer. We should care that they're effective when they go out, you know, we got Caleb and Megan are down in Guatemala, and they're down there now. They need guidance. They need wisdom for what they're doing. They're not in a happy territory. It's not like here. It's hard down there where they're ministering. They need our prayers. And the Dominican outreach, we have people here involved in that. They need our prayers down there. And the people that go forth from this church and those churches down there, they need our prayers that God will give people here wisdom in how to minister to these people down there and boldness to preach the gospel. And Paul Austin, we just talked about, he got back from Guatemala. He needs prayer with everything that's going on there. Prayer and wisdom. Several of us are going into prison. And I'm saying that's a hard place. We desperately, I'll take any prayers I can get. And I'll tell you, every week, I know my wife and kids, they pray for me. Again, they tell me they do. I get home, they ask me, how did things go? Well, you don't ask that if you're not praying and you don't care. And I'm telling you, it makes a difference. I can tell. Because I'll be like, man, I had a great night. I had a lot of freedom preaching to these guys. And I know it's because they're praying for me. So we need to have prayers like that. Praying for each other. And we've got Jake, Josh, Jeff, and Hunter understand this all right beginning a bible study on thursday night with these people suffering from heroin addiction i'm telling you that is a strong spirit and they need our prayers to be effective it's not just a matter that oh well we got this ministry going on isn't that nice and we got people from our church going in and dealing with a heroin addict that's not going to get it no. we're back to what we're talking about here it's this intense fervent bloodhound prayer that God makes their ministry effective. And we should be praying for our church as a body that we all, every single person in there, has a burden to share the gospel whenever we can. That should be a concern for every member of this church, not just a few, not just the people that are involved in outreaches, but everyone. I mean, Spurgeon said it. If you don't have a concern that somebody is saved, you're not saved yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you have to pigeonhole every single person you talk to, but you should be praying and looking for those opportunities, looking for them, 
trying to get a conversation going that way if you can. That should be your heart because you realize this person is lost. Not worry about, I really just want to get along with them. You need to think this person's perishing. They need to hear this truth. Jesus said this, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And I think that is so true now because the time is short. Judgment is just on the horizon. And there are still people here in America have not heard the gospel. They're God's people, God's elect. I mean, we would go up to that skating thing, the cement skating thing in Louisville, and I would be shocked to find young people that literally knew nothing of the Bible, had never been to church. Their parents never took them there. They didn't know anything. I couldn't believe it. I'm almost like, how do you start with someone that knows nothing? But there's millions of people like that in America. And some of them are God's elect, that we are the ones that will reach them. But we need to do that. And people need to hear the message, not the stuff that comes on TV for the most part. But they need to hear the message that God is holy. Paris Reed had said something. I mean, this doesn't fly real well, but I think what he said, there's a lot of truth to it. He said, I think there should be a moratorium on preaching about the grace of God and the love of God in the United States for two years. And the only thing that should be allowed to preach is the holiness of God and the justice of God and the righteousness of God because people have lost that. And I'm telling you, the fear of God and hell are two things you avoid at a, most places. Can I say it that way? People don't want to hear about fearing God. And yet that is part of the new birth that talks about in Ezekiel. God says, I'll put their fear in my heart forever. It's a good thing. But people need to hear that God is holy. God will judge sin. That men need to repent. To turn completely. Every sin. Not hold on to some pet sin. You've got to turn from all your sins to be saved. That's Luke 14. And commit their entire life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Tell them if they'll do that, they'll be new creations. No longer sinners bound by sin, but holy men and women filled with his Holy Spirit. And few today are going to preach that message. And few today are going to preach that message in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to pray that God will enable us and ministries coming out of here and any other ministry you know of, that they will have that message and will have the anointing of the Holy Spirit to make it effective. Because otherwise, you're just leaving people happy. They're a little happier in, their, in this cell that's waiting for the death sentence to be passed and executed. We don't want that. We want people to be taken out of one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and put in the kingdom of light. Amen. That's what we want. So pray and ask God how you or I could be sent forth to wage war against Satan's kingdom. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And to use this word that we hear here preached week after week after week. How can we effectively share this with others and help them? And that'll make you hungrier to hear more too. That'll make your walk with the Lord a whole lot better. You'll be a lot more happy because you'll have a little more meaning to what you're doing. Is God starting to use you? So back to Ephesians 6, I'm saying, are we going to commit our lives to watch and pray for all saints? Commit ourselves to pray with perseverance, firm, intense effort on others' behalf, because that's what he's saying here. So there's many needs in our church. There's saints trusting the Lord for healing here, and some things are serious things that they're trusting the Lord about. We just talked about the evangelistic outreaches that depend on the power of the Spirit in our prayers, which is what Paul's talking about here in 6.18. We have people that are believing for loved ones to be brought to true repentance and deliverance. Got a lot of cases of that. In our church here, we need to have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll always have that need. We'll never outgrow that need. And so... If nothing else, we need to be praying because when the spirit is outpoured, it's because people are of one accord and the devil will attack that. We need to constantly be beseeching God for the unity of the spirit 
because the devil knows a house divided cannot stand. And that's what he's going to be doing is trying to divide this house. And it's only by the Holy Spirit that it won't be divided, not because of our good intentions or we like each other or we're all intermarried and interrelated. That isn't going to keep it from happening. And that's fine, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to keep us where we're sensing his presence in a real way, and that will encourage us and motivate us. Oh, man, back to shouting, clapping, dancing, and running again. Wow. Lots of needs. Persecuted brethren. A lot of people went to the voice of the martyrs saying, that's what we do here Thursday night. We pray for the persecuted brethren in the world because one day we'll be in their shoes, and we'll want them praying for us. So God and his word, it's his word, not mine. And he's calling every person in this room to be committed to prayer for others. We'll read it one more time. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So I believe the New Testament is not just asking us to do that in our private times. It is asking us to do it then. All right, so we should be praying for needs in our church at all times, right? But I believe the pattern we talked about it is clearly set forth in the book of Acts that the church is called to gather in corporate prayer on behalf of others. So the temple in the Old Testament, it wasn't just a gathering place to offer sacrifices, but it was a place for God's people to pray. And that's where they went and prayed. And that's why when Jesus drove the money changers out, with all their animals, you know what he said? It is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. So Jesus, our Lord, said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. And that was the pattern we read it of the early church. We just read it in the book of Acts that we should follow. So they didn't just gather to hear the apostles' doctrine. If you read Acts 2.42, that was one thing. They gathered for that. They gathered for fellowship, the breaking of bread. And what was the last thing they gathered for? Together. For prayers. Corporately. I believe in this spiritual warfare we're involved in, that the church is the place where victory can be won through the prayers of the saints. And to sum it up, it'll be praying at all times with all kinds of prayer, with all perseverance, and for all saints. And all of that praying that we just talked about should be done how? In the Spirit. And that is how we will be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might as a church and as individuals. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you once again, Lord, that you've gathered us here to hear your word. And I just ask that you'll cause us all, Father, to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And I shall just impress it on all of our hearts in these days that are coming, Lord, that we fervently, intensely have a concern. And we intensely pray for the needs that we see around us of others and for the ministries and for your gospel to go forth that the lost can be saved and that we can be that kind of church, Lord. A church that is seen in the book of Acts. That we gather in one accord to pray for the needs we see in our midst. And I just thank you that you'll do that for us and that you've spoken to us today. And I pray all that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.